Well, we're going to be studying the, the famous parable of the Good Samaritan today, so you can go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. You can find that text in your bulletin. Uh, as you are turning there in your Bible, let me tell you about something, the, the reality of caregiver guilt. Caregiver guilt. That is a, a term that refers to the guilt people often feel when they spend a lot of time taking care of others. So think doctors or nurses, adult children caring for their aging parents, those who work among the poor and needy. Well, no matter how hard these people work on behalf of others, they often feel guilty that they are not doing enough for those they care for. Now, sometimes they don't feel guilty for that, but they may feel guilty that they're not doing enough for the other people in their life because they're spending so much time caring for those under their charge. Their aging parents maybe leads them to neglect their children. Uh, being a doctor or a nurse maybe pulls them away from their friends and their family. Well, friends, you may not be a full-time caregiver for someone else, but have you ever felt guilty that you are not doing enough for others? Well, estimates are about 10% of the world's population regularly goes to bed hungry. And about 48 million people are in very real danger of starvation each and every day. The hundreds of thousands of people find themselves displaced from their homes or having their properties damaged through natural disasters each year. There's the constant reality of sickness and pain and death. But you may correctly understand that you cannot meet the need of everyone around the world. What about the needs of those whom you encounter on a regular basis? What about the people who are in your life who are in need? But do you sometimes feel guilty that you are not doing enough? And maybe you would say, I don't feel guilty exactly. But maybe you worry that you've not done enough for others to please God. Maybe you worry, I've not done enough to find favor with God. Friends, with those things in mind, let's turn to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he asked him. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus told him. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? 
the one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Friends, at first glance, the parable of the Good Samaritan seems to just add on more guilt. A man comes to Jesus and asks what he must do to inherit eternal life, and the answer he gets, or the answer he actually gives at the prompting of Jesus, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, time for a guilt trip, right? Because who among us has ever loved our neighbor as ourselves? Who among us has done enough? Hey, how easy would it be for me as a pastor this morning to just keep on the guilt, keep on the guilt to you to say, oh, you need to work harder this upcoming year to love your neighbors more. Do better. Friends, that is not the message of the gospel. And that is not the message of Jesus in this parable. Yes, we are to love our neighbors. We should seek to love our neighbor more. The parable of the Good Samaritan has much to teach us about how we are to do this. But in these verses, Jesus was not teaching, if we just do certain things, we can inherit eternal life. He was not teaching that if you just work hard enough, that if you just serve others enough, that you can please him or find favor with him, eternal favor with him. I know Jesus was revealing to this man and revealing to us our inability and our failure to love as God would have us love. He was seeking to reveal that none of us can do enough. Friends, this is why you need Jesus, because you cannot do enough. But surprisingly, it is the realization that you can never do enough that can free you from the guilt of not doing enough. When you realize that you can never do enough and instead throw yourself on the mercy of Jesus, well, it is then that you are free to love as God would have you love. It is then that you are free to, to love God and love neighbor. And so the main idea of these verses, and therefore this sermon, is that saving faith leads to sacrificial love. Saving faith leads to self-sacrificial love. I have two points to help us consider that idea this morning. The first is head knowledge. Head knowledge. That's going to come from verses 25 through 28. And the second is heart knowledge. That's going to come from verses 29 through 37. So first, head knowledge. Well, these verses that we're studying this morning begin with a man with a lot of head knowledge coming to Jesus to ask a question. He was an expert in the law, a lawyer, meaning he was an expert in the law of Moses, the biblical law. He had devoted his life to the study of it. He was a religious man. He was what the, the gospel writers often call a scribe. Now, if you were here last week, just remember back to the text we studied last week, Jesus' prayer from Luke chapter 10, verse 21. Jesus prayed this. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. Jesus praised God that he had hidden the way of salvation, the things concerning salvation, from those who are wise and intelligent in their own eyes. But he's revealed them to infants. In other words, the humble. That's what he's meaning when he says infants, those who are humble. 
Well, friends, it's no accident that Luke includes this conversation between the lawyer and Jesus right after those verses that we studied last week. This lawyer is an example of those who seem to be wise and intelligent, but from, but from whom the way of Jesus was hidden. And throughout the Gospels, the scribes and the Pharisees reject Jesus and oppose Jesus. And this lawyer seems to be no different. And notice his attitude in coming to Jesus. Kids, youth, why did he ask Jesus his question about eternal life? What does verse 25 say? It says he, it says he asked in order to test him. He did not come humbly seeking knowledge or seeking to be taught. He came thinking that he already knew. He wanted to prove his own knowledge and wisdom. So in order to test Jesus, he asked what he must do to inherit eternal life. Now, he may have intended his question to be something of a, of a challenge to Jesus. But regardless, he asked perhaps what is the most important question anyone can ask. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Friends, if you are here and not a Christian, I hope that you want to know the answer to this question. And I hope you keep listening because, uh, Lord willing, we will uncover the answer to that question throughout the sermon. Well, Jesus and this lawyer, they both recognize the divine authority of the scriptures. So Jesus asked him how he, an expert in the law, would understand the Old Testament law, that divine law given by God to the nation of Israel. Well, the lawyer said, one must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Well, in his answer, he was quoting two, passage, two passages from the Old Testament law. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and Leviticus 19:18, which Patrick just read for us. Now his response was a common way of summarizing the law, particularly the Ten Commandments. So many, it's often said that the first five commandments, the first five of the Ten Commandments, are ways that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second are expression of our, our love for others, how we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus himself said, all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. The law taught us how to love God and love neighbor. Friends, if you're still looking for some New Year's resolutions, these would be a good place to start. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And what does it mean to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? It means you're to love God at all times, with all of yourself, your intellect, your emotions, your physical abilities, your possessions. You are to love God with your whole self. If you have a credit card, for those of you who have a credit card, you know that banks simply require you to make a minimum payment on what you owe each month to stay in good standing with the bank. And to remain in good standing, to remain in the, the bank's good graces, you do not have to pay everything you owe each month, just a minimum amount. And brothers and sisters, your love for God is not to be like that. There is not some minimum amount of love that you owe to God, not some small amount 
that keeps you in his favor. You're not to just do the, the minimum to get by. You cannot love God with just some areas of your life, but decide to, to ignore him in other areas of your life. No, your whole life, every single part of it, is to be devoted to God. And what about the second part of the lawyer's answer? To love your neighbor as yourself. Friends, do you realize what a high standard that is? I mean, just stop to think about all the ways that you love yourself for a moment. My guess is that you work pretty hard to make sure that you are as well taken care of as possible. You make sure that you are fed. You make sure that you have clothes. You have a place to stay. You seek your own comfort. You generally do the things that you want to do. I mean, just go through a typical day or a typical week and ask yourself, how many things do I do for myself? We know how to love ourselves. Friends, do you love your neighbor in the same way? Kids, do you love your brother or your sister as yourself? Parents, do you love your kids or your spouse this way? Do you love your friends this way? Your extended family this way? Look at verse 28. After the, the lawyer responded with these two great commands from the Old Testament law, Jesus told the man that he had answered correctly. He had the right head knowledge. He knew the right answer. Then Jesus told him to go and do. You must love the Lord your God with your whole self and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the standard for eternal life. Perfect, complete love for God with your whole being at all times and loving your neighbors in just the way that you love yourself. That's the standard. Brothers and sisters, here's the key to understanding these verses and understanding the parable of the Good Samaritan. This is a standard that you cannot meet. It is a burden that you cannot bear. James chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. There you go. Just love God, love neighbor perfectly, all the time, with your whole self. That's all you have to do. Good luck. Friends, that is an unattainable standard. The, the parable of the Good Samaritan that follows simply further illustrates that same truth. Yes, we should strive to love our neighbor as ourself. We should strive to love as a Samaritan. But we will fall short. What then was Jesus' point? What was the purpose of, of these commands? Well, the New Testament teaches us that the law is good. And that one of the reasons the law was given, not the only reason, but one of the reasons that the law was given was to bring knowledge of sin. 
the law was intended to point out our sin, to show us the ways that we fall short, and to humble us so that we would see our need for Jesus. It's not to those who think that they are good enough. The law was there to point out the ways that we are not good enough. Friends, I want you to hear what, well, to whom did Jesus say that that God's salvation was revealed in, in Luke chapter 10, verse 21? Again, he said it was to the infants, to those who are humble, to those who recognize their inability and their failure, and therefore see their need for Jesus. I want you to hear what I'm about to say very well, because it is so important to understanding the gospel. Your love for God and your love for others is not the way that you earn salvation. Your love for God and your love for others is not the way that you earn salvation. It is instead the evidence that you have been saved by God. Your love is not what brings you favor with God. You cannot do enough. No, Christians love because God first loved us. Christian love is motivated by gratitude that God has done enough, that he has provided salvation in Jesus Christ, and that he calls us to go and do the same. Friends, love for God is not the way you earn salvation. You can never love enough to earn salvation. If we fail at one point of the law, we have broken it all. No, this type of love is the result of salvation. It is what saving faith looks like. Self-sacrificial love is what saving faith looks like. Our faith produces, God's love in us produces this kind of love. Friends, that does mean your love is essential because it is an expression of your faith. It is an evidence of your salvation. James wrote that faith without works is dead, which is another way of saying that faith without love is dead. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. Brothers and sisters, you must love. If you do not love others, it is a sign that you do not love God. But you must always realize that faith comes before love in Christianity. Your faith produces love, not vice versa. When Jesus was trying to take this lawyer's head knowledge, he was trying to drive it down into his heart. He was trying to get the man to recognize his own pride by seeing his own inability to meet the standard for eternal life that he had just confessed. That is why Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan in order to translate the man's head knowledge down into heart knowledge, to convict him and to drive him to humble repentance and faith. Friends, that brings us to the second point of the sermon, heart knowledge. Look again at verse 29. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. 
In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an end, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, Go and do the same. Friends, I don't know if it's true in your own countries, but the United States has very complicated tax laws. And these complicated tax laws mean that there is a whole industry of people devoted to helping people and companies avoid paying taxes. Now, there's nothing illegal about this. I mean, you can do illegal stuff to avoid paying taxes, but that's not why this industry exists. Uh, it's just uh, the complicated tax laws in the U.S. mean there are sometimes creative things that you can do with your money to help avoid paying more in taxes. For example, some wealthy people in the United States, when it comes to the end of the year, they give a lot to charity. Sometimes they do that to avoid a larger tax bill. For instance, giving $5,000 to charity can help, pay, can help avoid paying $10,000 in taxes. Friends, I think this is often how people think of Christianity in the Bible. People might think, well, I know the Bible says I must love the Lord with everything I have, and I must love my neighbor as myself. But there, there must be some loophole. There must be some way that I can avoid the, the full weight of those commands. Maybe you tell yourself that, well, Jesus is gracious, which is true, and so that means he does not really care if you keep his commands. Well, that is not true. Maybe you say, yes, I know what the Bible says, but to obey would violate the traditions of my culture. So surely God would not expect me to obey. Obedience would be just too hard. And maybe you say, my, my difficult circumstances mean that God will give me a free pass on my obedience for the time being. Well, friends, the temptation of our sinful flesh is to try to find a way to make ourselves seem good enough. We want to think that we are good enough on our own. That we have, have done enough. The temptation of our sinful flesh is to try to justify ourselves rather than confess our failure and to confess our sin. And this is exactly what the lawyer did. Just look at verse 29. After Jesus told him to go and love God and love neighbor, the man wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, who is his neighbor? Now he thinks he's found the loophole. If I can just define neighbor narrowly enough, maybe really specifically, maybe I'm a lawyer, maybe if I get into the technicalities of who my neighbor is, I have a chance. I think the man perhaps recognizes something of his problem. Who can love their neighbor as themselves? You notice he just kind of sidesteps the part about loving God with his whole being. And he just ignores that. Now, let's just talk about the neighbor thing. But he still wanted to justify himself by finding a definition of neighbor that would allow him to, to feel good about himself. 
as if he even measured up to God's standard. Brothers and sisters, be honest with yourself. You want to justify yourself as well. We all want to feel good about ourselves. As I read the, the parable of the Good Samaritan just a moment ago, how many of you started thinking to yourself, I'm a fairly compassionate and, and merciful person. How many of you thought, I would never act like the priest or, or the Levite? How many of you started to go through a list in, in your head of all the times that you have shown mercy to someone in need? How quick were you to identify yourself with the Samaritan? If some of you thought of a time that you did not show mercy to someone in need, maybe if the Lord brought some conviction, did you quickly rehearse a list of excuses or a list of reasons why that was really okay? Or it just really wasn't that bad? Friends, in all honesty, when I started preparing for this sermon and I was reading through these verses the the first few times, that's exactly what I did. I, I wanted to justify myself. I wanted to feel good about myself. Friends, in our sinful flesh, we all want to justify ourselves. But brothers and sisters, if your takeaway from the parable of the Good Samaritan is that you are a fairly compassionate and merciful person, at least more compassionate and merciful than most, you've missed Jesus' point. Kids, if your takeaway is I'm a better brother or sister than, than most, You've missed Jesus' point. You've joined company with the lawyer. The desire to want to justify ourselves is to misunderstand Christianity. It's the desire to stand on our own righteousness rather than on God's grace and Jesus' righteousness. Stand on our own righteousness as man-made religion and it will get you nowhere. Christianity says we must stand on God's grace and Jesus' righteousness. So while preparing the sermon, I had to confess my own self-righteousness. Brothers and sisters, maybe you need to do the same thing. It's certainly what the, the lawyer needed to do. And this is why Jesus told him the parable. Jesus was seeking to take his head knowledge and drive it into his heart to convict him. And so Jesus began by telling of a man who traveled from Jerusalem to Jericho. In Jesus' day, that road was notorious for being dangerous because there were many rocks and caves and places for robbers to hide in order to ambush travelers. And Jerusalem sat high up on a mountain. Jericho sat below sea level. So presumably traveling through these mountains and these rocky places as people traveled down from Jerusalem, there was a lot of good hiding spots. This is exactly what happened to the traveler in the story. He was robbed, beaten, left for dead, stripped of his clothes, But following the the robbery, a priest happened to come along and see this traveler who is now in great need. This should have been good news. And certainly to those hearing the parable for the first time, the the Israelites who would have been listening into this parable for the first time, this would have seemed like great news for the traveler. He was in great need, but a priest has come. One who is set aside to the service of God. One who, like the the lawyer himself, would have been very familiar with the Old Testament law to to love God and love neighbor. A man of of righteousness. But he passed by on the other side of the road without helping. Well, not to despair. Because here comes a Levite. 
Again, this would have seemed like good news to those who were listening. Levites were something like the assistants to priests. They helped with some of the priestly duties. They acted kind of as something of temple police. And so someone like the priest and the lawyer, who was among the wise and the intelligent, who again, who, who was very familiar with the commands of the Lord, who would have been thought of as, as righteous and just. But just like the priest, he passed by on the other side of the road without helping. Well, the point is that the priest and the Levite should have been the ones most expected to know and obey the law. I mean, presumably, they were returning from Jerusalem after serving in the temple. They were the ones most expected to know and follow the commands to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. Yet they didn't do it. They had the head knowledge, but they ignored the man in need. And their knowledge of God and their service to God in the temple had not penetrated their hearts. Friends, knowledge of God is a good thing. You should want to pursue the knowledge of God. In our men's DC, we're, we're reading a book called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. But, but brothers and sisters, God does not just demand that you know things about him. He does not just demand that you perform your duties diligently. He demands your heart. God demands your love. But friends, there is a great danger in mistaking knowledge for love. Priests and the Levites had knowledge, but they had no love. And they showed it by ignoring the traveler. They left him sitting on the side of the road, beaten and left for dead. They, they showed that they did not truly love God, which meant that they truly did not know God. At this point, the, the lawyer should have been on notice. The lawyer should have been on notice. The priest and the Levite are like him. Those with a lot of head knowledge. Those who, who seem wise and intelligent. But also those who, who lack love. But then a Samaritan came upon the traveler. And praise be to God, he did not pass by on the other side. Instead, he had compassion. He may have not had much knowledge, but this man had love. He demonstrated love for this man by bandaging his wounds, taking him to the nearest inn, and spending a night caring for that, for that man. And the next morning, he asked the innkeeper to continue to care for the man, and he did the first century equivalent of taking out his credit card and saying, put any expenses that are incurred on my bill. Not only that, he said that he would return and pay anything else that could be owed later. Now, this would have been shocking to those who were listening. As we've even seen in recent weeks, the, the Jews and the Samaritans hated one another. In fact, the, the Jews of Jesus' day believed and taught that their neighbors were only their fellow Israelites, not Gentiles, certainly not Samaritans. If Jesus had told this parable to a Jewish audience during World War II, it would have been something like making a Nazi the hero. It would have been like making a white slave trader the hero of a parable told to a group of African slaves. But the Samaritan was the hero of Jesus' story. After he 
finished the parable, Jesus turned to the lawyer and asked, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the traveler? The lawyer rightly responded that it was the Samaritan who showed mercy. Friends, notice that by asking the question the way he did, uh, the, the question Jesus asked, he flipped the man's original question on its head. Jesus flipped the man's original question on its head. The lawyer asked, well, who is my neighbor? Jesus was in effect saying, that's the wrong question. The right question is, have I acted neighborly? Have I shown love? And this is just further emphasized by making the Samaritan the, Hebrew, the, the hero of the story. Friends, Jesus takes a spotlight and shines it at your own heart and your own actions. Have you acted neighborly? Have you shown love? Now, this does not mean that there is no place for asking what is the best and wisest way to help someone. It does not mean that we have unlimited resources to help everyone. But it does mean that the attitude of our heart should be to be neighborly, to help, show love, to go check on the one lying in the ditch. Our inclination as Christians should be to, to show mercy, not to seek to find ways to avoid it. That's what Jesus was telling this man. He's asking, who is my neighbor? How can I avoid showing mercy? Jesus said, wrong question. Right question. Have I acted neighborly? As Christians, we are called to show the love, compassion, and mercy of the Samaritan to others. And more importantly, we're to show the love, compassion, and mercy of our Savior to others. That was illustrated in the Samaritan. And friends, this has historically been what Christians have done. Eusebius, a historian during the 4th century, wrote this about the response of Christians during a, a plague that killed many in the Roman Empire. Uh, some some pandemic far worse than COVID. He wrote this. All day long, some of the Christians tended to the dying and to their burial. Countless numbers with no one to care for them. Others gathered together from all parts of the city. A multitude of those withered from famine and distributed bread to them all. Well, they didn't pass by. And we could go to historical example historical example that, that people make the same point. Christians have been marked by their love. There are schools and hospitals throughout the world that have been established by Christians. Among the first evangelical Christians to come here to the UAE were those who established the Oasis Hospital in Aline. A friend, saving faith reveals itself in self-sacrificial love for others. The gospel is to change us. God's love and God's mercy is to, to change us, to produce love within us. So brothers and sisters, you might not be able to start a school or a hospital, but what opportunities do you have to show mercy to others? And notice the, the radical nature of the love that Jesus calls for here. By making the Samaritan the hero of the story, Jesus made it clear that our neighbors are not defined by nationality, or race, or language. The question is not, who is my neighbor, but have I acted neighborly? Brothers and sisters, is this the kind of love that you show to those of different nationalities here in the UAE? Are you tempted to save your, your generosity and your compassion for those of your own kind? 
And church, even as I ask that question, I just want to say how consistently encouraged I am by your visible love for one another. Though we come from many different places, and there are many differences between us. It was wonderful to see at the Christmas party a couple of weeks ago, everybody just mingling and talking with one another. It didn't matter where we were from. It was wonderful. It was so encouraging. But I also want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to to seek to show even more of that radical cross-cultural love that is so different from the world. My friends, uh, the fact that the hero of the story was a Samaritan was not the only radical part of the love Jesus calls you to here. I mean, notice how much time, effort, and money the Samaritan gave to this man. This was a, a radical mercy. He stopped. He took time to to treat the man's wounds using his own oil and wine. He was willing to be uncomfortable and tired and put the man on his animal and let the man ride on his animal while he walked. He spent the night caring for the man. He slept in the same room as a stranger caring for his wounds. He gave a significant amount of money, about two days worth of wages, to pay for his care. He gave sacrificially of his time and his energy and his resources. He didn't hoard these things just for himself, just for his own comfort. He he loved his neighbor as himself. And brothers and sisters, you were called to do the same. James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm and be well fed, but you do not give them what the body needs, what good is it? Friends, your love and your mercy is not just to be in word, but also in deed. Again, church, let me, let me take a moment to commend you. I periodically have the privilege of, of hearing the ways in which you serve one another. I'm encouraged each and every month by your generosity and the benevolence offering. Friends, we try to, to use the money that's collected in the benevolence offering to meet those who are in physical need in this church. It's your sacrificial giving that makes that possible. And while we're on that topic, let me just say, if you are here and you do have some physical need, maybe food, clothing, medical care, something else, please come talk to me or Pastor Ben. If if we're able, the the church would like to help. My friends, I'm grateful for the ways that you do not just love in word, but in deed. Nevertheless, You should ask what other opportunities you have to show mercy to your neighbors. What opportunities do you have to sacrificially give and serve others, even those outside of the church? Friends, there are many people in need here in this country, and the Lord will probably bring some of them across your path. It's inevitable. How can you love them? How can you show mercy to them? How can you be compassionate to them? Friends, it could be something as simple as just showing an ordinary act of kindness. It could be something as simple as buying a little bit of extra food when you go to the hypermarket that you can give to, to someone in need. And friends, if you're not sure the best place to start, usually the best place to start is simply to actually be on the lookout for the needs of others. You run into someone you suspect might be in need. Have the boldness to ask. Friends, ask people after the service or that you encounter in your daily life how you might pray for them. 
You might learn of, of needs as you ask just to, to pray for people and to minister to them. To show this kind of mercy means that you have to look out for the good of others and, and not just yourself. Samaritan wasn't just like staring at his smartphone as he was walking down the road, oblivious to the needs of anybody lying in the ditch beside him. And, and kids, the teaching here is not just for adults either. Jesus' teaching here is not just for adults. Maybe you have opportunities to show mercy to the other kids at school that are mistreated and bullied and teased by other kids. Perhaps you can be their friend. At home, you can seek ways to serve and help your brother or sister. Maybe you can help them with your, their chores, with their homework. Kids, you can help your parents by, by serving them, by, by pitching in with the chores around the house. If you don't know what to do, just ask your parents. I'm guessing they'll have something that they would be happy for you to help with. Friends, we should all want to be a people that are marked by meeting the physical needs of our neighbors. We should want to demonstrate a neighborly love to our fellow brothers and sisters and to those in our community. But at the same time, we never want to lose sight of the fact that the biggest need people have is eternal life in Jesus Christ. It was that question that started the interaction between Jesus and the lawyer. What must I do to inherit life? Yes, we want to be marked by meeting the physical needs of others, but we are not showing mercy if we are simply content to meet people's physical needs, but leave the needs of their soul unaddressed. And part of showing a neighborly love to others is to share the gospel with them. Many of the schools and hospitals around the world that have been started by Christians have been started not just to meet people's physical needs, but to provide an opportunity for the gospel to be proclaimed. As Christians, we are, are called to love God with our body and soul. Right? Our soul, mind, strength. But we want to minister both to the body and soul of our neighbors as well. But Jesus concluded the parable of the Good Samaritan by telling this man to go and show the love of the Samaritan to others. We are called to do the same. But friends, we cannot forget the main point of this parable. The lawyer had not, and the lawyer could not live up to the standard of eternal life that he had just confessed. Neither have I, and neither have, and neither will any one of you. I mean, if you show this type of, of radical mercy and compassion and love to everyone you have encountered who has been in need? And no, of course not. We've all ignored the needs of others. We've all helped half-heartedly and held back much of the time and effort and resources that we could have given. Friends, we are guilty of not doing enough. The parable of the Good Samaritan was intended to convict the man. Friends, it is intended to convict us it is intended to show us our lack of love and our need for the mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The ultimate reality is that the love and mercy that the Samaritans show to the traveler in Jesus' parable is the love and mercy that God has shown for us in Jesus Christ. Christian, we were the ones bloodied and bruised on the side of the road, left for dead in our sins, unable to help ourselves, Praise be to God that God did not pass by. He drew near. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to earth. And Jesus did meet God's standard. 
He loved the Father perfectly, and he never failed to show the love and compassion of God, the mercy of God to others while he was on earth. And friends, when Jesus went to the cross, he did not just bandage up our wounds. He took our wounds. He offered himself to be beaten in our place. Brothers and sisters, you were not left dead in your your sins because Jesus died for you, and then he was raised for you. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. My friends, if you are here and not a Christian, if you want to know the answer to that lawyer's original question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, know that the mercy of God is available to all who will humble themselves, who will, who will admit their inability to meet God's standards, who are humble enough to say, I have not done enough. I cannot do it enough. I have sinned and I have fallen short of the glory of God. And then who will place their faith in a Savior who would die for them, who would seek to stand on Jesus' righteousness and not their own. Friends, this is what repentance and faith looks like. And repentance and faith is how one inherits eternal life. Friends, trust in Jesus and his sacrifice. There was no greater mercy than that. And brothers and sisters, it is the love and mercy that Jesus has shown to us that frees you. The love and mercy that Jesus has shown to you that frees you and enables you to show this kind of mercy and compassion to others. You can show mercy because you have been shown mercy. Friends, if you are grateful for what God has done for you, you will be eager to demonstrate God's love for others. But church, we will not do this perfectly. We will fail. We will live up to our calling. We will not always love others as the Samaritan loved. But thanks be to God that eternal life is not earned by the mercy we show to others. Rather, it is a gift of God's mercy to us. And because God has shown us mercy we can go and do the same. Let's pray.